Welcome back to season two of Sworn Testimonies. Therapy isn't just for white people. Today on the podcast, I have A.D. Carson. A.D. Carson is a performance artist and a professor of hip hop at the University of Virginia. I can honestly say he's one of the most prolific thinkers I've ever had a conversation with. We get into rap culture, race, and politics in the U.S. Stay tuned. Just be honest. 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 Just be real. Just be true. It's the only way to be free. Just be honest. It's the only way to be. Just be real. Just be true. It's the only way to be. Okay, so can you tell our listeners who you are and what it is that you do? I am Dr. A.D. Carson. I am professor, assistant professor of hip-hop in the Global South at the University of Virginia. And you teach a class called Rap Lab, which my little sister is in. And I actually had the privilege of sitting in on your class, which that was dope. Um, But how does that happen? How do you get a job where you get to teach an entire class about rap music and black culture? Well, the so the Rap Lab is actually the classroom, but the class Uh, that you sat in on is called uh, Composing Mixtapes. And I also also teach a a class called um, called Writing Rap. And I think that part of it has to do with the nature of the job that, you know, that I applied for and then accepted at the University of Virginia. And they were looking for someone to um, fill the position of, uh, you know, professor of hip hop in the global south and that happened to coincide with the time that I was working on or finishing up my uh doctoral studies down in Clemson uh down in Clemson South Carolina at Clemson University and I was working on a project that was really about um about the ways that black bodies are treated differently than say like black cultural production or black cultural products. So if you think about uh, black music and the way that black music is welcome in all kinds of places where black bodies aren't welcome and thinking about how universities do a similar version of that. So you could imagine there being, uh, you know, hip hop music at a university without there being black and brown people in those classes. And that was kind of the challenge that I was issuing to the academy and uh, scholarly production, you know, like what we call, uh, you know, academic knowledge production more broadly by doing my dissertation um, project as a rap album. So I would be um, offering from, you know, my black body, um, my black voice, talking about my black experiences in what we understand to be an anti-black world. Wow, I actually had a chance to listen to some of your dissertation this morning, Owning My Masters. First of all, I'm obsessed with that title. Uh, just the title alone, I wasn't ready for it. I was like, whoa. And then I, you know, I listened and I watched the introduction video and there was like, this juxtaposition of you and like a t-shirt and a fitted 
then there was another scene where it's like you dressed up. I think you had like a bow tie on or something. I don't know if I made that up, but you were like in a classroom setting. Um, how did you come up with the visuals for that or what did that mean to you? I think that at some point, at some point, you're you're trained to not just train, but if you if you're a good student, then you learn that there are ways that you're supposed to present yourself. And I think that you know you get to a certain point where you where you you start pushing back on those things that you you've been uh, told to accept as fact about the world and about your existence in it. And so maybe my first, my first year uh, in the doctoral program, I would always, because, you know, I taught in, I taught in Illinois before I went to South Carolina and working with high school students, it's, it's much easier, or it was much easier in my experience to understand that part of my job was trying to present myself as an example. And, uh, and then you start, well, when I started working through this doctoral program, I also realized how that kind of, you know, cut multiple ways where that, like being that exemplary person, like somehow being an exemplary Negro is going to exempt you from, you know, the anti-Blackness that's in the world. And of course it's not. Um, so my my thinking there in my thinking in Clemson and at the time that I was filming the the intro to the the dissertation, it was that um you know it's it's kind of posing that respectable version of myself against what what I actually bring into into any encounter you know like this is this is who I who I feel myself to be, who I want to be, how I would like to present myself. And also, because I'm presenting myself in my T-shirt and my ball cap doesn't make me any more um, worthy of discrimination or more, um, you know, like more, uh, I guess the word, worthy of discrimination or, you know, if someone were to, to harm me, you know, like I'm not, I'm not worthy of death because I don't have on a bow tie. And there's no way that we can, um, that we can make ourselves respectable enough for a world that is already set against you because of the, the body that you inhabit. And so putting Find clothes on it is not really the thing, or or changing your speech patterns, or getting a PhD for that matter is going to change the way that the that the world has been taught to to encounter you, the way that the world has been taught to pathologize you, and so the the way that those things are ju juxtaposed in that video is to kind of show in the album itself, it kind of shows hopefully. Uh, the progression in my thinking or the evolution in my thinking, I, you know, I, I guess some folks might not see it as progression um, from what I arrived in South Carolina with and uh, some of the conclusions that I was leaving and going out into the work, the work world with. And so that is directly connected to the reasons why I would want my students to learn in a rap lab and why it's really important uh, to have students from 
all walks of life, from uh, the many different places that they want to study in the university and the many different places that they come from to the university to engage with what it means to listen and think through and compose with uh, rapping as the the object of study and also the, um, you know, and rappers, the subject of those studies. And then, you know, like the way that the world uh, encounters that. And then also, um, you know, like to have them try to inhabit what it means to be a person who is rapping. What does your rapping voice um, do for your thinking, for your composing, for your being in the world? And I think that it's a perspective uh, that we should be wanting to add to um, our curricula if we want to really get at some of these uh, finer points that we keep missing in these conversations that we claim we're supposed to be wanting to have with one another about um, cultural production, uh, even the thing that folks call appropriation, and um, how we might how we might be a little bit better about facilitating and engaging in those discussions. So I'm hoping to try to prepare the students to um, offer some perspective to that and to also bring some consideration to it. I love that. And I am showing my age, but I graduated from UVA almost 10 years ago, and I had an incredible educational experience there, don't get me wrong. Uh, but like, you know, so many other schools and colleges, there were so many classes where I'd learn for the test and I'd go in and I'd take the test and I'd forget all the information. And that was that. And there were very few professors. I had, did have a handful, shout out to those professors. Uh, there were very few professors who made learning like a hands-on activity where I still feel like I'm pulling up from a lot of the skills and the concepts that I learned. And I felt that sitting in your class, even for, I guess I was, I actually went to class two days. Uh, you were there one of the days. Um, but just the way that you kind of allow the students to take ownership of their own stories and their experience and just kind of provide that I think is a really dope way to teach. And, you know, for you teaching rap, which in and of itself, people tend to think of as like, very black music, understandably so. What is that like having so many students that are white or teaching rap at a predominantly white institution? Do you feel like you're limited in what you can and can't do? Or do you feel like what you're doing is being received well? That's a great question. I think that, well, again, I believe that black music is going to be taught in people's music departments, whether they're black people teaching it or not. And that's the way that it's been going. So um, my teaching, uh, my, my teaching, what I teach at UVA is not, it's not a new thing. People have been teaching rap and rap related content in academic spaces probably since the early 80s. Like as far back as like 1980, folks have been attempting to bring what rappers do into those spaces. My challenge would be to not exceptionalize it and then make it a part of the curriculum to, uh, but, but also when we think about making something part of the curriculum or institutionalizing something, then we also have to deal with that question that I'm asking. What does it mean to have a black art form in your university or at your university, but then 
um, you know, have regularly less than 10% Black people attend the school there or less than 5% Black people teaching classes at the university. And and I think that that's the, the larger question isn't how Black culture, Black cultural products, Black, um, you know, like um, objects and subjects of study um, exist in the academy. It's how, the, how, how will the academy be transformed by that so that we don't, we don't get so caught up on the fact that we have that we have black art, we have black literature, we have black music that we don't continue to challenge that institution to be a better space for black life, for uh, black joy, for black being uh, to to happen there. And so, to your question, um, I don't feel hampered by what folks' expectations of what I do might be. Because if those things become too much to bear for me to be in that space, then I just won't be in that space anymore. Uh, I think that we also have to consider how um, spaces like predominantly white universities become the they they become for for folks this marker of success. Uh, but UVA ain't the only place that I could be, or it's not the only place that I could teach or where what I am teaching and how I'm teaching would be welcome. So it's where I work right now, but my my work as an artist, my work as a scholar, my work as a teacher are not dependent upon UVA being able to understand it as valuable. If they don't understand it as valuable, its value is not diminished. Uh, I'll just go do it somewhere else. And that's the way that I approach being in that job. Of course, I, I'm here because I want to be here. Um, and that's mutual. It seems as if they want me here as well. When that dynamic changes, then, you know, everything changes. When students have any kind of question about methodology, or if they have questions about particular topics, uh, I try to teach while rooting, uh, you know, creating or at least like highlighting the foundation of my work coming from Black studies and thinking about what that means to the academy, like where that came, how that came into the academy, as opposed to saying that hip hop is universal and participation um, is is a thing that uh, no one should ever be worried about uh, with regard to their identity or with regard to taking up space or with regard to um, what might be perceived as an appropriative gesture. Because that I, I think I feel would be irresponsible teaching. So if a person believes that me teaching in the most responsible way that I feel I should be is somehow um, something that I shouldn't do because it makes them uncomfortable. The the question again would probably have to be reversed for me. I think that that person's probably not prepared to be at a university. Oh, it's I was really impressed too. Um, the class is called composing mixtapes. My sister Nia, she's corrected me on that so many times. I keep calling it Rap Lab. She's like, it's not the name of the class. 
to the place. Um, but I know you all uh, put together an album that was really cool to listen to. And I loved that the students all felt so free to express themselves. And some of them were like cussing or talking about smoking all day. And I was like, okay, they being real, real out here in this classroom, in this academic setting. Um, have you all talked about, you know, using the n-word has that come up in class because i i didn't notice that anybody used the word is that a conversation you all have had yeah that's the conversation i have the first day first week of all of my classes and i mean we start with well we start with the word nigger because it has the um well because like it's the most obvious and like it's the it's sort of the unspoken like the, the fact that we even have to um you know, use a euphemism to even uh, approach it. And, um, and, and what I'm really interested in by utilizing that word in the first lesson is for the students to talk about their relationships to language and how our individual uh, relationships to language are always shaped by other people's relationship to language. And so rather than find myself in a position where someone might say to me, because they've heard my music, since you use the word, then why can't I use the word or why can't such and such use the word or, or whatever? I, or, you know, I don't want to infringe upon an artist's um, creative, you know, like license by, by correcting or omitting a word that that artist wanted to use. And people do make those kinds of excuses. But if we start talking about um, our, our relationships to language, and then we hear other people talking about their relationships to language, then we, I think, get, get closer to what it, um, what it might feel like or how those words operate in space and how, they, um, how certain words press upon people and live with people um, in, in certain ways. And, and then we don't find ourselves, or my hope would be that we don't find ourselves attempting to force our relationship to language on other people, which means that whatever you use or whatever you say is important to your artistic practice, but um, we want to be intentional when we're using language so that when someone asks us what we said or why we said what we said, we have relationships to our, our language so that we can express why we said it. And if someone decides that they're going to use the word nigger, they're going to use the word or, or you know, nigga or, or whatever, you know, permutation thereof. Um, and, a, and a person might say, well, I use it because I like the way it sounds. Uh, that's a conversation that started like all the way back at the beginning of, of the class. But hopefully that person has encountered other people who are talking about their relationships to the word as well. And, um, and then whenever I engage in that deliberate usage and I know that it hurts somebody or I know that it affects somebody in a certain way, like what I'm signaling to them is, you know, like, well, I said it, but like, I also don't give a fuck about how you feel, which is a choice that I think a lot of artists make uh, with all kinds of words. And so we had some of those conversations about not, not the so-called N-word, uh, we did have conversations about other language, you know, things that, you know, that I, that I might call, um, you know, a kind of like gratuitous misogyny. Um, and my perspective about that may be very different from the students in the classroom. Um, 
all of them. And when they're having conversations about composing together, knowing that all 15 of them are going to be represented by this work, um, I'm hoping that they take this discussion of their relationships to the language that is going to represent all of them into consideration whenever they're discussing what makes it onto the album, what doesn't make it onto the album, how we edit the album or how we edit the lyrics or what, you know, like what we're going to, to do and who we're going to be in language. It's so interesting. My group chat, hilarious is not a word, I guess, the way that most people would describe the N-word. Uh, but uh, my mom one day a while back was like, I don't understand why you guys call each other niggers. And one of us, I can't remember which one of us was like, it's not nigger, mother, it's nigga. And she just thought it was the funniest thing. And she loves like making that distinction now. Nigger versus nigga. And she just like laughs and thinks it's so funny. Uh, and, you know, a lot of other people have kind of like made the distinction in the word and how they're using it in terms of being responsible and knowing your why for using the word. Why do you use the word? Like, what does it mean to you? Yeah. I think that's a that's a good question as well. I think that well, I want to make another or at least just an add-on to the the previous point is that um is that I just try to be careful not to tell people what they can and can't do because it's kind of a lie whenever I tell somebody that they can't use a word uh because people can use and they do use whatever words they want to and I think that what I want to get at whenever I ask them uh the question about their relationships to language uh, it's generally to get them to be considerate of the world that is going to encounter what they say. Because I think that people also um, know how to exhibit certain parts of their um, their relationships to language to certain groups. And, and there are certain folks who are dealing with that all the time. I mean, particularly when we think about how we present, present ourselves, say, um, um, you know, with the, with the you know, so-called interview voice as opposed to like how you talk at home. Um, and I think that lots of people do that kind of code switching. And what I'm really trying to bring into the classroom is that uh, code, code switching or whatever that might be, like these are choices that people are making and they're making those choices based on relationships that exist with the people who are going to hear what they say. So far as my own uh, usage, um, you know, I've gone, I think I've, I've been in a lot of different spaces with regard to the word. I think that. Um, at this point, it feels like my art is really intentional and, uh, and, and my language is really intentional whenever I'm talking to whomever I'm um, having a discussion with. So the word is aptly descriptive. Um, and if not descriptive, then, you know, um, the affect is something that, that I believe that um, my conversation is benefiting from. Um, I like to think about it in the, like in the sense of making art, if it's a, if it's a color um, that, that should be in a painting, I'm not going to avoid putting that color on my paintbrush and then putting that paintbrush on the canvas. And that's my, um, my relationship at this point to that word that might be different tomorrow or next year it certainly was different um you know a little while back i i, I remember trying my best to like find a different find a replacement or to not say that word or 
you know, like before my grandmother's passed away, I used to have this this thought like, well, if my grandmas are listening, um, you know, like they might be thrown off or they might not want to share what I'm doing with uh, with their friends or, you know, and, and I and I had that and, and, and I felt totally fine with that at that at that point in time. I remember, you know, feeling that that, you know, that rush of, uh, you know, guilt and shame when my grandma heard me, uh, you know, say a so-called bad word for the first time. Um, but I don't know, as I started to be more intentional about what I, what I was, uh, writing, you know, like the, the kinds of, um, arguments that I was trying to make through my music, um, it was necessary. You know, it, it felt, it felt very necessary for me, you know, if I'm writing a song about, um, you know, about, about, um, ways that, you know, like we might think about something like, you know, like appropriation or whatever is going on in this cultural exchange. And the song is like, um, you know, you could be a nigga just like me, walk, talk, act, dress like me, roll over, beg, fetch like me, get a check like me, be a slave, put a chain around your neck like me. It's impossible to write that hook without that word because it's not really like the weight of what I'm attempting to get across is, um, is not really going to have its impact if I don't use the words that I choose, uh, you know, in order to, you know, for that particular phrase. Of how intentional you are with your language, and I guess that comes with writing and composing and writing rap music. And I also love that you talked about the way that your grandmother or the way that you perceived your grandmother might feel, or maybe the way she actually did feel when she heard you maybe using words that she thought were bad. And I read a statistic that said a lot of us when we're having, you know, to make big decisions that we have a list of five or so people in our heads that we're always considering. Sometimes they're family, sometimes it's friends, sometimes it's people we don't even know that well, maybe an old pastor or somebody that you, you know, an arch nemesis. And we're like, what are those people thinking about what I'm creating? And the goal as a creator is to kind of step outside of that and to stop always considering what those people and what they represent are thinking about your art. Do you feel like you have a list of people in your head who you kind of, you know, always consider their opinions when, not, when you're creating? Because I know that I do. I'm, and I'm actively trying to kind of silence those voices all the time. Well, I think to a certain degree, I'm, I'm also hoping to bring some of those folks into the room. You know, like I said, there, there are these points in time when, um, you know, I'd, I'd never want to sound like my Southern grandmas in front of, uh, in front of a potential employer, in front of uh, prospective students or in front of current students. And now I think differently about that because I don't want to actively cut my grandma's voice out of my head. And if it comes out in the way that my grandma would have said it, I think that like maybe it loses some of its impact by me doing like playing this translation game in order to convey it to my students or to my potential, you know, prospective colleagues. Uh, so I think about I think about that a lot. I don't think about actively shutting people's um, judgments out of my head. I think like my consideration isn't really their judgment. My my consideration is. Um, who's in the room, who's allowed in the room, uh, what that means and what it might mean for me to show up as myself being informed by those people who I'm bringing into the room, regardless of whether you hear it in my voice or you see it in the way I dress. And so 
Um, you know, I mean, I think that there there's a lot in there because in the same way that I might be trying to trying to undo or not not say these, you know, like these these uh these bad words. I mean, my grandma also thought lie was a bad word. And I say lie all the time because I call people liars when they lie. Um, but you know, that that was a bad word to her as well. But I'm always mindful of the fact when I say it that if I said it my grandma was around, then she would look at me, you know, and give me that glare like you know, like grandmas give you. Um so I guess yeah, but it, but again, like I said, it's not it's not judgment that I'm trying to cast aside. When I make music, I do think very often about um, who my audience is and whether it still includes the people that that I used to write for when I started writing those first rhymes. And when I started writing those first rhymes, I was writing for my brothers, for you know, like the the dudes at the lunch table, or you know, like the basketball you know, like the basketball team, you know, in the, in the back of the bus, you know, like whenever the, you know, and we had a cipher after the game, like that, those, those are the people who I was writing for at that point in time. And so I wonder if there's a way that my work can be designed in such a way that it still has its appeal where it is coming from. At this point, it's coming from the academic institution where I work, or at least its um, its proximity to that is is so close uh, that sometimes it's really difficult to distinguish. I I wouldn't say that like I make music at UVA or I make music for UVA, but it's going to be part of the criteria that I'm going to be evaluated upon for tenure. But I want to be able to play that music at home when I go home with those same folks who, you know, who are on the porch, you know, like as folks are waiting to get their hair cut, you know, like that same porch that I got in trouble for saying those cuss words. Uh, so, um, I can't say that that's, um, and you know, it's not, it's not easy to balance those things, but that's, that's my objective is to make sure that, that, that my music sounds like the me that I am, um, that I'm attempting to, uh, exist as. And it's not like, um, trying to, to pander one way or the other to, to either of these, um, you know, to either of the, these spaces. But like, I want it to sound like in certain ways, like where I come from, like what I bring to it, I want the music to sound like that. And what I bring to it at this point is as much of uh, Decatur, Illinois, as, um, you know, in some regards, uh, you know, my academic, um, you know, th this academic uh, work, this training, this reading, this thinking, uh, you know, and, and all of that, that, that informed, you know, like the, uh, the doctoral work. Do you think specifically in music that black artists in the industry have an obligation to be role models in any capacity? No, not an obligation. No. Um, I think that there are several ways to answer this question. So I can't stop at the simple no, because, um, that's inadequate. What I will say is that, um, you know, America's funny and like American citizenship, the way that it is, uh, the way that it's expected to like act upon our bodies and our art making practices and our minds, it's weird because 
depending again on the body you inhabit, then the responsibility seems to shift. And so there are, there are tons of folk who would unquestionably be called American artists and, um, and never, ever, ever be asked about the responsibility kind of inherent in them to the communities that might be uh, enjoying their art. I get why people ask that question about those American citizens who have black skin. I, I get it. I totally get it. But I think that that's part of the kind of the funniness of American citizenship. Um, that, uh, you know, America makes some of the most, like not just the most violent art, America is an incredibly violent country. Um, this incredibly violent history. And again, like we, we, we do a real good job of prettying that shit up um, or just like totally revising it whenever we write books and movies about it. And then, you know, give people Academy Awards for, you know, making it pretty and heroic. Um, but then when it comes to um, Black cultural production, then the question becomes like, are black artists responsible or like, should they be responsible for the violent messages that come from their music? Like, I mean, imagine, um, imagine a colonist, like imagine, you know, like a colonial empire asking the people that they subjected to violence, why there's violence in their art. Now that's not like blaming America. That's saying that like, you know, like, I hope those folks who ask those questions look in the mirror and ask themselves the same thing and can answer in the ways they hope, you know, like the folks like me who they ask that, you know, like that they can answer the, the, the way that they would hope that I would answer or the way that they would hope, you know, Kendrick Lamar or, um, you know, Lil Boosie or, or um, you know, NWA would answer. But, you know, like that, it's always a farce anyhow, because like this is like, it's like a, uh, it's, it's it's testing citizenship, you know, like by different metrics. And so um I don't, you know, I, I don't want to reverse it in, in or try to like do a reversal and say something about, you know, like all of those artists who aren't asked that question because I still feel, because I still live my black ass life and my black ass body, a sort of responsibility in my art to make something with integrity and to make something that I truly feel, um, I feel proud of and I feel comfortable with sharing with the people who I know are going to consume it. But that's not a responsibility that I feel coming from those American citizens who say that I should know better and I should do better. It's not for them. It's actually because like I want my art to be an expression that does that does move and function in certain ways with the folks that I intend it for. But I'm also not going to stand here or sit here and say to other artists that they have to have the same motivations that I have whenever they make their art. Because if I said that to them, then of course I'd have to have that standard for every single artist. And I would also have to have that standard for my consumption of other art. So if I'm looking at other artists who are doing 
who are who, who are doing all kinds of irresponsible shit in other art that I don't ever question or don't ever call irresponsible, then I can't turn around to just the rappers and be like, you can't talk about that, fam. You can't rap about that or you can't say that, fam. I can call some of those people in if I have relationships with them to try to say uh, or ask that question, you know, what's your relationship to this? What's your relationship to that? Or what do you mean whenever you're doing that? And I hope that that doesn't come across as me like uh, criticizing or like trying to like uh, tear down whatever they're doing. I hope that it truly does come from a place of, um, you know, like it's met with whatever my genuine intentions are whenever I ask it. But whenever it's whenever it's presented as, um, you know, you should know better or you should do better or here's what you know, like the rap, like uh, rap shouldn't do, you know, do X, Y, and Z. Um, I just want the energy uh, that 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 comes from from that kind of questions, like particularly outside of hip hop culture, onto or about hip hop or about hip hop artists. I want the energy to be the same in all of the other genres and all of the other, you know, like um, modes of production where um, America's incredibly cruel, violent, you know, hideous, um, not like uh, history, present and future seems to also play out and never be uh, questioned at all. It's so easy for us to look at isolated situations like rap and be like, you have a responsibility to your point, but then not consider all of the other situations where we never ask that question. And, you know, I, I love rap and country music for the same reasons, really. Like I, people make fun of me for li- liking country, but I, we love Taylor Swift in my house. And it's because of the storytelling. I love artists that tell stories and so many rappers are telling stories. And it's just my personal opinion that you can't really get mad at someone for telling their own story if that has been their experience. But on the other hand, I do, you know, I question some of the messaging and the music that I listen to when I ask myself, Am I being hypocritical if I'm fighting for women's rights and I'm fighting for, you know, respect and I'm listening to artists who are constantly calling women the B word or, you know, talking about women in ways that I find degrading or offensive? In your opinion, do you feel like rap music or some rap music contributes to a culture of uh, misogyny or homophobia in the Black community? Yes, it does. It does. But you know, in addition to all, I think, you know, or a, a, like grand portions of uh, American uh, and probably not just American, but for certain American pop culture, um, I imagine, you know, like I think about about shows like The Bachelor and what that signals, you know, like what, what those shows are doing for a culture of misogyny and, um, you know, objectification. And, um, and, and I think about Again, like the number of, of films that uh, that portray, you know, these these uh, you know similar kinds of of attitudes, and and what you realize is that like we're taking this microcosmic thing, um, and making it you know like pathological in this one instance, and then not talking about the American pathology. It ain't just black people um, who have who make art where women are hated, where women are objectified. Now, the problem is that America hates women. And, um, and so that's the problem that we need, that, that needs addressing. 
and where I am in the world of hip hop, then, then I can address it there. I think that when someone comes from, um, you know, watching there or participating in their He-Man woman hater club, and then they say, y'all hate women, you know, you guys who rap, then it's like, fam, you go tell that shit to your people and, you know, deal with that. Because um, like, while what you're saying is true and that's the job that I'm taking on or that's the work that I'm taking on, I see that as my work. Um, the work that you're asking me to do or that you're calling me out for not doing, you aren't willing to do over there with your people. So, um, you know, like I said before, use that energy over there and I'll use my, you know, my energy over here. And if we're talking about how we all like can, can work on this, on this, uh, on this larger problem in these particular ways, then I'm with that. I'm, I'm, I'm totally with that. And so, like I said, it's, it, it never really suffices to, because like, I don't ever want to seem as if I am trying to, to remove the burden that certainly exists within, uh, within rap, within hip hop, you know, within certain spaces to stand up to, um, you know, like, um, like misogyny and, uh, and violence and, all kinds of exclusionary and, you know, just like, you know, like wild, like mad violent practices that, that exist. I am not trying to shirk that responsibility whatsoever. I think that very often when it's happening uh, in these larger conversations, it's to pathologize black folks. It's not to hold us all accountable for what exists in this country and has existed, you know, for a really long time. It's to say that somehow like black folks are um extra violent that black folks are extra misogynistic that black folks are extra transphobic that black folks are like just extra bad in all the ways that badness exists black folks are extra bad and we see it in hip-hop and yeah you ain't gonna convince me of that that's a lie wow america hates women that was like a mic drop moment but i think you're absolutely right it's a double standard. I think we definitely do hold uh, black people to a different standard than we hold the rest of the world to, and it's a problem. Um, you know, I'm curious, would you ever get into politics? Is that something that you've ever considered for yourself? You know, politics are, are for certain people. I, or let me, like, political office is what I mean, not politics. That's, you know, of course, that's also a lie to say that politics ain't because you know what 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 isn't political um but i think that you know like i mean first off it takes like an incredible this is see this is how i get into the mess i think it takes a special kind of narcissism to want to be president it takes a kind of acceptance of um <laughs> Uh, an acceptance of like America as like somehow righteous in its bloodlust to want to be the head of the, the, you know, the American empire who, who knowing what the job entails would really want to be president of this country. And that's heavy. Like that takes a whole lot um, and 
you know, we can, I think that, you know, folks, certain folks are fans of people who, who, who take that job. Um, it's really difficult for me to, I mean, number one, I think that fandom is a failed project already because it gets you to making all kinds of bad arguments about things that you wouldn't otherwise make based on, you know, like sort of an, um, uh, you know, a kind of blanket like an acceptance of, you know, all kinds of shit that we wouldn't from, you know, like people who we don't have that fan relationship with. Uh, fans of politicians, um, you know, like do it in in the worst kinds of ways. So. Um, I, I would hope that my politics are, you know, like hope for advocating for people, um, not just hope, but advocating for and, and, and hopefully trying to, uh, work with communities, um, who are, you know, that are, that are constantly overlooked than, uh, you know, having the, you know, access, access to the, you know, to the button that says like, yeah, we're, we're okay with invading them or bombing them or starving them or overthrowing them or intervening there or seizing this from them. Because that just seems like a whole lot. It just seems like a whole lot. And that's not, you know, like I'm not built for that. I get it. Fandom is kind of a weird space because to even honestly critique when you have a critique that doesn't necessarily feel uh, good, you know, when it comes to politics, it's still a critique if you feel like it's the best for the country, even though if it's not in support of the politician, you'd think that you'd be able to divorce yourself from your obsession with insert politician. But so many people are unable to do that. Um, and even just applying that concept specifically to, you know, Black artists even, there are certain Black artists where I love their music. And even if I feel like a critique is necessary, I am afraid to do it because I'm like, I don't want to be a Black woman critiquing another Black man or, or another Black woman even. Sometimes that just feels uncomfortable. Um, so I've kind of tried to divorce myself from fandom as much as possible. Obviously, I've made some exceptions um, but yeah, I feel you on that. Yeah, it's difficult. And it's also difficult being a person who makes, you know, who makes art and like tries to make art this intentional and hope that, you know, and hope, it, you know, it's certainly political. Um, I know, like, I'm not everybody's cup of tea, but also I'm not going to pretend to be, you know, I'm not going to try to appeal to all people. I think that uh, very often what we're asking our politicians, and I think that maybe the larger the platform or the larger the stage, the more uh, folks are attempting to, you know, appeal to larger swaths of people. Um, and I don't know, uh, you know, the, the, the person who's currently occupying that office, um, seemed to be able to hone in on, you know, like the large swath of people who are, and of course, you know, like no surprise, you know, racist, um, or are able to, um, are, are able to describe their racism, you know, like by other means so that they can also absolve themselves of racism while supporting a racist. And, um, but it would be difficult for me to occupy a position like that. And I don't think that I would ever be able to appeal broadly in those ways, uh, to be able to, um, 
to bring enough people along with me to even make something like that to like number one to make something like that viable number two um you know i think that on you know like in in local um in local politics that's you know like a a, a thing that's attainable um and i don't know you know everything is you know it seems like things are so wild right now um but yeah Oh yeah, I couldn't do it, and and you know as you said, like that fandom shit is like or fandom yeah is it's a thing that I have to I always. I, this is uh, you ask your sister, you know I'm always talking about how um, your fandom makes people make bad arguments. It's so true, um, and to to your point, to everything that you said, I do believe that the people a lot of times who are seeking positions of leadership. Uh, you, you've got to be not even maybe weary of, but just question what are your real intentions. But I believe that usually the people who make the best leaders are the people who aren't seeking those positions, which is why I feel like we need more people in politics um, who wouldn't necessarily otherwise, you know, seek a position like that, because a lot of times they're the ones that are able to divorce themselves from, you know, attention and ego and, you know, just make really logic sound decisions. So my thoughts on that yeah well when i when i see that politician then maybe i will vote for her <laughs> hey uh, and then you know i i want to ask too for you in your own life and in your career and you know not just in your music but you just have a lot of i think really insightful things to say in the way that you see the world uh, is you know it's worth listening to i think you have a story to tell who who has influenced you um, you know, I think that, of course, you know, my grandmothers, um, you know, like my, 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 uh, my dad's mom used to, you know, she used to be like a, like she'd get us up one Saturday mornings if we came by and, you know, like she would take you out to the rummage cells that she would go to, you know, have you carry stuff or, you know, big, pick up big items. Uh, she was also a person, you know, she she met everybody with, uh, it's like she never met a stranger. She was a very kind woman. I think that, you know, she was also the kind of person who, you know, which seems contrary to what I said earlier, you know, if you if, if you pissed her off, she would she would still, you know, like, if she wouldn't cuss at you, she'd cuss about you, you know, when, um, and that's how you knew she was real mad. Um, but I think that she was just like an incredibly generous woman. Um, and And my mom's mom was very much like that as well and she um um not only raised a large family but took in um an even larger family and i think that i think about them a lot now probably because i'm so far away from my family living here in virginia and um and it's an approach that i want to try to take to living and teaching, um, you know, through the kind of compassion that they uh, that they gave me as an example, uh, but also like not taking shit from people, you know, like not like like not being here for for the nonsense. And somehow they were able to see through it um, in ways that you know I hope that I'm continuing to learn. Um, I feel similar. You know, like I, I mean, I talk to my um, 
to, to my siblings, particularly my, my younger siblings are very, um, they inspire me a lot, you know, like the, the work that they do, uh, the ways that they approach, you know, living and dealing with, you know, like the, the world, um, and continuing to, you know, to, to aspire, you know, continuing to try to, to try to get shit done when there's so much that's like trying to like press you down and hold you back. I don't know. I mean, I guess there are some, you know, like there are some artists whose work uh, and example were really important, like uh, like Gwendolyn Brooks, who, um, you know, besides being a very like an incredible poet, I think that, you know, her life was an example of how you can be, um, you know, like you can you you can be that person who people see on a page and um and inspire in that way but then also be a person behind the scenes who's incredibly generous and um and thoughtful and considerate and just kind of like you know like a regular like a regular person um without that having to be something that you know that that needs to be advertised to the world and so like i think for me it's always about people who um who had a relationship to community and being in community with folk regardless of uh of of accolades or um you know like public adulation you know it was like really about being there for the people who um were there with you you know and there for you so yeah i hadn't considered that before you asked it but yeah that's um that's a that's a good question thank you uh for sharing that and thank you for you know just being willing again to have this conversation I feel like I was kind of taking mental notes while you were talking, and I'm sure I'll go back and listen to this and take actual notes. You just have a lot of great things to say. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to end this conversation with a few, like, rapid-fire questions. Um, And, again, this is Sworn Testimonies, my podcast, so only the truth, no lies. Uh, (laughs) Are you you down? Yeah, I'm down. Let's see it. Okay, so one one or two word answers. That's it. One or two one words. Or two words. That's gonna be difficult for me. <laughs> Who's your favorite rapper? Me. Mm-hmm. Oh, you. Okay. Okay. Ad the Great. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite book? Song of Solomon. It's mm, a great one. Wine, beer, or liquor? Uh, I am uh, maybe twelve years sober. Oh, wow. Good for you. Good for you. I'm such a wine girl. Uh, <laughs> Beyonce or Rihanna? Uh, Rihanna. Dang, that's a hard one. I know, I know. Tupac or Biggie? Pac. Pac. Um, and as I'm sure lots of our listeners are going to want to know, are you dating? Am I dating? Yes. No, I'm single. You're 100% single. Are you are you looking? Look, yeah. Are you like are you I'm, on dating apps? No, I'm not on dating apps. That's not a thing. That's <laughs> oh, not a thing. Thank you for being such a great sport. Um I appreciate you. Do you have like a book you want to plug or a website or any current projects you want to plug before we wrap up this conversation? Um I have an album called I Used to Love to Dream that's going to be uh, released by University of Michigan Press sometime 
I don't have a date yet, but it's with the press. And so once they get all of their stuff together, then the project will be out. But, you know, it'll be soon. I used to love to dream. I used to love to dream. And when that's ready, um, will it be available like on your Instagram or how can people? Yeah, you can get Instagrams, A-D the Great, A-Y-D-E-E the Great. Um, Yeah, and it'll be, hopefully it'll be free to stream or download from uh, Bandcamp or, you know, Spotify or wherever. I mean, I know those apps aren't free, but I'm not charging for the album is what I'm saying. So you can get it free somewhere. But if you have one of those pay services, hopefully you'll be able to get it there as well. Dope. Well, I will definitely make sure I download it. I am a fan of your work. Um, Thank you so much again. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you. Just be honest. 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 Just be honest.